Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hello, I'm Scott Soshman. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is Sportacast. All right, so Novi williams you had a decision to make. On Sunday night, long weekend, you're tired, we're getting to the evening hours, you're starting to plan for the week ahead. You can sit on your couch and you've got two options. I mean, obviously you've got 2,000 options, but for the, for the purpose of this discussion, you have two options. You can sit with Meghan Markle and Harry, or you can watch Team LeBron taking on Team KD in the NBA All-Star Game. Tell me, did you do the Royals, the NBA, neither, or sneaking peeks at both? I did the thing that most Americans did, which was I watched the Oprah Winfrey, Meghan Markle, and Harry uh, interview. It's it's not a subject I've followed particularly closely. My partner is very into the British Royals uh, back and forth drama. I kind of parachuted in for it. She gave me kind of quick bullet points, updates as we were watching to kind of give me the context but it was fascinating. And Scott, a, a number that I want to talk about with you, 17.1 million people, according to the preliminary nationals, as we record this, uh, some people out there saying this is great for TV. Other people saying that it's a, it's a number that shows exactly how far that kind of the premier interview show has fallen over the past decade or so. W- what did you think about 17.1 million? And is there a kind of a lesson in here for sports as well? Well, first of all, the NBA can't be happy that they have their All-Star Weekend. Everything compressed into one night. Normally, it's Saturday night for the skills, the dunk, the three-point, mm-hmm. and then the game you know, finishes it up on Sunday. But everything was done on Sunday in, only, and they have to go up against Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. So you know, I just wonder, does, uh, does Adam Silver pick up the phone and say, you know, Oprah... Um, is there any <laughs> chance that perhaps you spent we three could, years trying yeah. to get this interview? You had to do it on the, uh, yeah, it has on to the be night on of our, our event. Alter. Right. And let's keep in mind, by the way, and in a, in a COVID world, let's keep in mind what the all-star game usually represents. The NBA utilizes the all-star game to treat its sponsors. Everybody goes to all-star weekend. They have the technology summit. They pay to, to partake in that. Then of course you get the game and, and the events of Saturday night. That wasn't really happening anyway. Of course, you'd like the widest possible audience, but the main mission of All-Star in, in this COVID world was not happening. And Adam Silver had said, listen, we just tried to keep things as, as normal as we can. So that's why there were some players, by the way, who didn't uh, really w- think that the NBA should be holding its All-Star game. Why mm-hmm. travel? Why? A little mini bubble in Atlanta. Um, 
But especially in a, in a year like this, where TV networks aren't giving everything that they bargain for or sponsors, you really need to go that extra mile to deliver as much as you can. And the NBA did that. The question is, and we won't probably know till tomorrow with games on TNT, TBS, how many people watched last year? You had about 7 million for the All-Star game. So there's your, your mark right now. You're, you know, you're less than half of what uh, Megan and Harry did. Seven, you know it's going to be lower. What do you say, about five? About five million viewers? What do you think? I, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's right. The big question, in addition to what is the pandemic-shortened, this version of the All-Star game condensed into one, into one night, what does that mean for ratings? And also kind of how big the overlap is between the audience that would normally tune in for an all-star game and the audience that would tune in for, uh, for, for that interview with the former Royals. Another thing that jumped out to me because I was following the all-star game on, on Twitter because I wasn't watching it. It seems as though the Elam ending that the all-star game is taking is once again, the star of the event, the, the, the luster of the slam dunk contest seems to be waning a little bit. Our colleague Lev put together, I don't know if you saw this, Scott, on Twitter, he's apparently rated all the slam dunk contests ever using weights like who participated, you gotta how love good Lev. the dunks you gotta were, love the cultural impact of the event itself. He was very, very dour on this year's uh, event. But it seems as though the Elam ending, which changes up the final few minutes from you know something that can get drawn out in a normal game by fouls and free throw shots into something that's a little tidier. It seems like it may be something that has a future. Well, just explain it. I mean, you got to explain that. You have to explain the Elam ending. It, it, in essence, <laughs> sends a tar- it sets a target score. First yeah, one to reach I mean, it sounds complex, but yes, the way the end of the game works is at a certain point, and I don't know exactly how the All-Star game does it, but let's say with five minutes left, you turn the clock off, you add, say, 10 points to the, the team that is winning at the time, and say the first team to that number wins. And and what it does is it takes away, as I said, that impetus to foul, to draw the game out, a lot less free throws. And from a drama standpoint, every game ends with a made basket. And it, it's unfortunate if that's a free throw, but oftentimes you get walk off. Yeah, I was going to say the only down is when it's somebody on the free throw line. And you got that, yeah. you got that this weekend. Dame Lillard hit a shot that felt like it was from the moon to, to end the game there. And that's, there's drama inherent in that. Uh, so that certainly seemed to be one of the things that was, you know, jumping out from this all-star game because a lot of the other stuff, to be honest, felt a little lackluster. All right. Well, Evan, but there is one, only one number that really matters from this all-star game. And it's not LeBron 170, Team Durant 150. The big number that the NBA really cares about is zero. And that's the number of COVID cases <laughs> leaving Atlanta. That's, that's the most important thing as they, they move towards the rest of the season uh, and, and a playoff. The, the NBA just wants to make sure they get this this going in the right direction with as few cases as possible. So from uh, a low number on Sunday to a high number on Sunday, Scott Sportico broke some news on Sunday morning. The sport radar, the sports data giant, a company that we've known for a while, have been tracking for a while is looking to go public. They have a signed term sheet with a SPAC horizon uh, acquisition corp two led by Todd Boley, former Guggenheim executive minority owner of the LA Dodgers Deal values the company at $10 billion. Scott, what are your thoughts? My thoughts are that sports betting and data are absolute giants uh, to U.S. sport moving forward. Radar is the 800-pound gorilla. We should say that their ownership group includes the National Football League. It includes a trio 
of well-known NBA owners, Mark Cuban, Ted Leonsis, and a guy named Michael Jordan that maybe people have heard of. They took a smaller stakes a few years ago in anticipation of what a liberal or open U.S. sports betting market might look like. The question is, Eben, and, and you pointed this out in the story, that there's also some private investment being made in this public entity. It'll be used to buy down some of the existing investors, uh, but they got to raise a lot of money. You know, we're, we're hearing some big numbers that we'll see how they can, you know, how can they can raise the money. Uh, the reaction uh, from a few days ago when it was revealed that they were in talks with Todd Boley, the, the, the stock shot up about 20%, but on the actual signed letter of intent, not so much. So uh, your, your thoughts then on, on Wall Street's reaction? Yeah, as we record now, middle of the day on, on Monday, the stock is down 3.5%, it looks like, over the course of trading Monday. Again, Sportico broke this news on Sunday morning when, uh, when, when the New York Stock Exchange was closed. And this is, yeah, I would imagine this 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 is maybe a little bit of a of a warning sign about about raising that money. To, not to get too deep into the financials here, but at a ten billion dollar valuation, this SPAC Horizon Acquisition Corp. Two raised five hundred and twenty five million dollars in their IPO at the end of last year. So there needs to be a, a probably a few billion dollars raised privately to kind of make this transaction happen. And and yes, the, a market reaction that isn't doesn't seem to be going gangbusters over the valuation may make that, yeah, certainly may make that a, a little bit harder as well. We should talk a bit about Todd Boley. In addition, as I mentioned, Guggenheim executive, former Guggenheim executive, Dodgers minority owner. Uh, he is now running Eldridge Industries, which has an equity stake in DraftKings, uh, in addition to a number of other sports and media enterprises. And, and Jason Robbins, Scott, the, the CEO and co-founder of DraftKings, also a part of the SPAC on the, uh, on, on the board of directors. Are we surprised that, that, that Boley ended up as the, uh, as the winner here? I know they were talking to multiple SPACs led by multiple people and also talking about a, maybe doing a traditional IPO uh, as well, if necessary. Uh, they were willing to go to the 10 billion valuation. You do have Jason Robbins on the board. You're stealing all my great nuggets and pearls of wisdom there, <laughs> sort of showing that data sports betting and that's where we're focused. But where is it? I mean, what's the right terminology, I mean, for where we are in terms of sports betting and the mature sports betting market? You want to give me sort of the, if this is a baseball game, we're in the second <laughs> inning, or how do you want to do it? But there's so much more opportunity. Uh, and getting Radar, the, the leader in sort of global sports betting data, providing data to the betting houses. Uh, the value of data is skyrocketing. Uh, no, I'm not surprised that that's the way it went. I mean, it is so far what? It's the largest sports-related property so far uh, among all the SPACs we've seen. Um, and we should say, by the way, that the SPACs directors do include, like full disclosure time, like flashing full disclosure, do include execs from MRC. It's a publishing company that has a joint venture with Penske Media, our parent. So we, we should point that out. Uh, but no, I, I'm not surprised. From what I can glean in talking to a number of people about this, the, uh, the Bowley folks uh, are extremely high on data and sports betting and what they can do with it. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that kind of the, the step back size and scope of this deal. I think there's a chance that in, in 24 months when all the SPACs who are forming right now and raising money are either 
you know, have found targets or have unwound, that this could end up being the, the largest valuation we see for a sports-related company in that space. I'm not sure off the top of my head, there's nothing that really comes to mind right now that is a target for these companies that is worth something like the in the $10 billion range. And then to answer your question about sports betting, no question. It's, I don't know what inning it would be, but it's, the starter is still in, of course. the I, I don't know the numbers are not in front of me. I think somewhere between a quarter and a third of the U.S. population right now lives in a place that has legal mobile sports betting. And think about the giant states. There's no legal mobile betting in New York. There's no legal mobile betting in Florida. There's no legal mobile betting in Texas or California. Some of the biggest states with the, with the most amount of sports teams still are yet to legalize it. So as more states come on board, as all these operators and the advertisers, as they learn all the things they need to know about this industry, yes, I think the, the, the sky's the limit. And that doesn't even talk about international markets. The, the the market for legal sports betting in China is undergoing radical changes. And just by the scale and size of that country, there's tremendous opportunity there for a company like Radar as well. Yeah, to show how big it is, by the way, the only other proposed deal that we've written about or have heard about has been out there was sort of the, the red ball look at Fenway Sports Group. And that valued, by the way, the parent of the Boston Red Sox of Liverpool, Fenway Park, Peace of Nesson. These are iconic assets. That deal valued those assets at $8 billion. Mm. Here we are at $10 billion. I think he gives you a nice picture as to where Sport Radar stands in, in the scheme of things. There you go. Scott, let's move on. Uh, other news that Sportico broke last week. Uh, we were busy. The, uh, we were very busy. Subscribe. <laughs> Sportico.com. <laughs> news, newsletters as well. Um, th- there's all this buzz right now around non-fungible tokens, NFTs, blockchain technology. The NBA, I'm not surprised. I don't think you're surprised either. It seems to be trying to get ahead of the curve a little bit. They've put together a, a, a task force advisory committee, subcommittee to look at blockchain and ways to, to, to bring it into across really the NBA's businesses. And, and Scott, give us some of the names on this list because it's an impressive list. All right, before I get to the names, and you said you're not surprised the NBA is often in front of things. I mean, let's remember they're doing this on the heels of Top Shot exploding and that's sort of the digital collectibles. And it's not a surprise that Dapper Labs, right now the leader in this, is a partner with the NBA. So other leagues surely could have done this, could have these out there, but it is the NBA. And not only, by the way, I don't want to make sure, I want to make sure that people know it's not just the owners, right? Because who were some of the investors? We'll we'll trade names. I'll do the owners, you do the players, because I know you know them. So I'll do owners, then you follow, just so we know that it's not just the owners. You've got some players who are pretty uh, into this and understand that there's there's an opportunity. But for the owner side, it's, it's not a surprise. Mark Cuban... Of course, he's, he's been in on crypto and digital. Ted Leonsis, Steve Paliuka of the Celtics, Vivek Ranadive of the Sacramento Kings, Joe Tai, Alibaba, Brooklyn Nets, Ryan Sweeney, alternate governor of the Utah Jazz, hedge fund guy. Um, these, if I was looking for advice, this would be the murderer's row mm. of an advisor group on what do I want to do? And like you said, this is not, not, about Top Shot. Mark Cuban made that clear. This is about how do we utilize blockchain across the full scale of NBA businesses. And you know as well as I do, that could be no particular order. What? Ticketing, betting, 
gaming, that they're in on a whole bunch of things that blockchain, which in essence is like data storage. <laughs> so there's lots of things that the NBA can do, lots of ways they can utilize it. These are the gentlemen that are going to lead the way and propose what's possible. You mentioned Ted Leonsis there, who's a, also an investor in Dapper Labs through Axiomatic. And some of the players, I'll rattle off some names here, also invested in Dapper Labs. Andre Iguodala, Aaron Gordon, JaVale McGee, and then also Spencer Dinwiddie, who I think most even casual NBA fans may remember tried to uh, tokenize his contract a couple years ago, which the NBA itself shot down. But but Spencer is is a you know an advocate and a crypto enthusiast for sure. And yeah, Scott, I think if you look at blockchain technology and and the opportunity here, there's there's plenty of them. And to be honest, as a journalist, I'm thrilled about this idea. The one of the things that that blockchain does so well, one of the reasons why it's so effective, is it is a public ledger that that keeps you know incredible data record of of things that change hand of sales of ownership, and that I mean that would be welcome, I think, for us is to get a sense of a scale of business, the way things are selling. As an example, I gave to someone on the phone over the weekend. Imagine if, you know, Fanatics operated on blockchain and you could see who was buying what, how expensive things were, what the market for sales were. As soon as some, you know, as soon as the Say the Knicks win the NBA championship in a few months. How big the the sales bump is? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hold on. I'm sorry. Hold on. What? What? Wait, what? What? What, what, was, <laughs> try, what was that? Try to sneak that, that, that in. example you just gave. I, my, in my headphones, I heard you say, "As soon as the Knicks win the NBA championship." Yeah, we're gonna put this. We're gonna clip this section and put it on Twitter in five months when the Knicks win the the uh, NBA championship, and we can uh, we can call me Nostradamus. But yes, and I by think the way, the, you, you mentioned Spencer Dinwiddie. By the way, I want to thank yeah. him for retweeting the you know our tweet on the original. Story. Story. He, he was out there and, and said, boy, all they had to do was ask, which I do love that <laughs> a player is saying to a group of owners, all you had to do was ask. I'll tell you where this thing is going. I'm, I'm more than happy to help out because I was in early too. Yeah. And just to, I mean, to, 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 to finish my thoughts on this and, and maybe throw a little bit of cold water, a lot of these applications are areas where people have been talking about blockchain revolutionizing them for, for years. You, you talked about ticketing. People in the ticketing world have been thinking about talking about this for a long time. I'd put sports betting in that category too. The idea of some kind of sports betting tech or operator that that merges with with blockchain uh, is another one that's been discussed a lot. It doesn't just the fact that the NBA is looking into these things does not mean that it's going to be applying it across its business. I would imagine the transparency thing actually may be a drawback in some in some situations. And some of the things they're looking at, you may not even need blockchain for. At all, if the NBA wanted to create a ticketing system where it got a, it kept everything on a closed market, where it could get a cut of all sales on the resale side, doesn't necessarily need blockchain to do that. Um, but just the fact that they're exploring it, the fact that they've had a lot of success with Top Shot and are thinking about other applications, that seems like a good thing for the sports business world. And just in case, Eben, and I may need you to defend me right here, in case anybody's <laughs> listening and says, you know. That Sashnik steps on Novi Williams uh, more than he should. <laughs> I think I, I want to let everybody know that we're doing this. You're at your place. I'm at my place. There's a little bit of a delay. I'm looking at your little picture here. It's hard to see if you have... If we were next to each other in a studio, like we used to be, I would give you the finger up and say, oh, wait a minute, I've got a point. And you. So I apologize if it seems... It's just a little difficult. I mean, it is my nature to just jump in. But you're... See, right now... It's, 
this is where I said, I need you to defend me. You're shaking your head yes and laughing, saying, yes, Scott, you have a point, but people can't see that. So let them know that this is just maybe circumstance. Scott is absolutely right. When we step on each other, it is a function of having to do this uh, from our from our houses. And soon, maybe Scott will be able to do this uh, in person. Can't Certainly wait. Looks, so, looking yeah, that way. And yeah, I think a lot of the sports executives there. listening here are probably nodding their heads in agreement as well. And we're, we're, we're hearing more and more Local, you know, may, would be at mayors, be at governors, starting to open up the capacity allowed at, at events. A number of M- MLB teams, when they kick off play in about a month, they're going to have crowds of various capacities. It certainly feels as though we're getting closer and closer uh, to gatherings in the future. Four words have been shots in the arm. That's it. Shots in the arm. Let's close it out. Women's History Month. want to give a little nod to our friends over at the Sports Innovation Lab, Angela Ruggiero, Josh Walker. Um, They've done two things recently. It's not like top of mind now, but they've done things in the past month or so. The fan project and also an advisory board that they've put together, an executive board, uh, all about women and sports. The fan project, it's it's a women-centric research project. In essence, what they're doing is asking people to share their social media data anonymously. But will that what that data will show is... Where are people paying attention? How are they spending? What are they looking at? What are they sharing, tweeting? The point is to give sponsors, TV networks, anecdotal data, instead of just sort of this, you should cover women's sports more because people care. They can actually give the data that shows exactly where people are, what they're doing, how they're sharing, how they're looking at. uh, And you know that the folks over at the lab are, are big on the fluid fan. It's sort of reach people where they are, how they want. It's not about that TV anymore. It's a you have to find new ways to really touch touch points with your fans and with those consumers in sports. So that's one of the things they're doing. And then the leadership board of 22 female executives expands sports, media, tech. The leagues are involved. Google, Visa, Coke. They're really, really pushing uh, women's sports. And not, not only just like you should watch it, but the value that women's sports can drive. Yeah, and I, going back to that data project, I think it's a it's a great idea. There's so often we hear people talk about how oh the men's sports are so much more of a commercial entity, and there are people who, who believe, and I think the folks at Sports Innovation Lab are are in that category that believe that 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 may just be a problem of data collection and not necessarily a a truth of the reality. Uh, and for, uh, to use a public example, the the, the very public fight legal fight between U.S. soccer and the, and the U.S. women's national team. Part of the defense from U.S. soccer was about the popularity of the men's team relative to the women's team. Um, anecdotally, I don't feel that necessarily in the same way. And I, and I think that a project like this, which I don't know if it's the first, but certainly seems to be a comprehensive attempt to pull a lot of the social media following and fan affinity for women's sports might actually get to if it's true, debunking a lot of those assumptions. All right, two stats you'll like before we close it out. Women spend more than $10 trillion annually, that's a global number, and control $43 trillion, with a T, of consumer spending. That, that's a good reason to uh, cater, look at, pay attention to, wouldn't you say? That's 43,000 sport radars. <laughs> well, well done, <laughs> Mr. Matt. He is... Eben Novi Williams on Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Corveltman would yell at me if I didn't plug the show on Twitter. That is at Sportacast, which is 
the hub of what will be the Sportico Podcast Network. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.